Okay, we're going to get started, but before we get started, I just felt like I just needed to pray specifically over this lesson because there's going to be something specifically for each person in this lesson. At least one thing. At least one thing is going to really hit you in this lesson. Everybody. So I want you to really be listening. No Facebook, no texting. Paying attention. Because this lesson is, is very important. And a lot of people don't get it. And there's a lot of reasons why people don't get it. And she's going to go through some of those reasons. And so just really have your ears tuned. Okay? So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just speak ears here in Jesus' name. And I just take authority right now in the name of Jesus over any kind of deceiving spirits in Jesus' name. And we just say no. And Father, I thank you we have welcomed your Holy Spirit with worship and praise. And I say where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So right now in the name of Jesus, I say give us ears to hear. Father, give us hearts to receive the word that you have for each one of us individually this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Okay, today we're going to do it on owning your own relationship with God. And I'm going to say that most of the time in churches and in Bible studies, they look at what your leaves look like. But we're going to look at what your roots look like. A lot of people examine what your leaves, what you have to offer. You know, and there's a place for looking at what your fruit looks like. But tonight we're going to look at something called roots. And I'm going to ask you, do you have roots? Like, how secure are your roots? Now, our theme verse is Matthew 13, 21. And it's that parable of the sower where it talks about all the different soils and the different seeds and all that. But it says that one person did not have firm roots. And so I want you to think about what on earth are roots? I mean, really, you'd look funny here if while we were sitting here doing a Bible study, you developed roots and I had to come pull you loose. So what does it mean by roots, that you have no firm root in yourself? What does that mean? What, what do we mean by that? Well, the first time I ever thought about this, the first time I ever saw it was a time that I was down in oh, South Texas and we were having a wedding. And it was some friends of ours, and guess what? I'm not kidding you. I have never seen a wedding like this. Like, I came from a Baptist background. I grew up at First Baptist Church during my years, and I go to this wedding, and suddenly the person, the two people are getting married, the person next to them, the bridesmaid, falls over and passes out. And I didn't know what happened. Then suddenly the guy next to the groom passes out and breaks a tooth. And the ambulance comes, and every time somebody fell over, we thought, are they dying? Is there a fatal disease? So all would get up and run to the back, and they were having this wedding in the bank. Now, they had a pastor there, and he just looked normal when someone would fall down. He just looked at him, and everybody would run the back, and they'd go get some more liquor. And everybody drank some more, and then they all came running back. And as a Baptist, my dad had always told me, 
Go watch people drink. There's nothing more fun than that. He goes, if you watch people drink, you'll never drink. And so anyway, he would take me to these places. I'm telling you, I've never seen a wedding like this. They would fall down. The third one fell down. And I thought, there's some dreaded disease in this place that we're not seeing what's happening. Well, I didn't know that they'd had a party and that their knees were locking and down they would go on their faces. And so anyway, they lost the members of their entourage and it was just nothing like I'd ever seen. And everybody seemed okay with it and they would just go get a little more. We just kept going on until we finally got them married. In the back of there, and there was this one young kid and he sat by himself and he had gone to a Bible school. And I remember looking at the kid and he had decided to clean up his life to go to this Bible school. And as I looked at him, I was watching him, he was holding his head in his hands. And he just seemed to pull at his hair. And I remember praying for him and thinking and saying to myself, Lord, give him roots. And I knew what he was struggling with. I understood it. And I was thinking, now who's his real family? I don't know. He was adopted. But his adoptive family had blown up, and his adoptive family had gotten a divorce. It had all messed up, and the adoptive family was in a mess. There was drinking all around him, and guess what? He had an addiction. So I was wondering, I wonder if this guy will make it, because he had to drive back that night to the Bible school. I was thinking about him. I was thinking about he has no roots in his family, in his life, in love, the question is, does he have roots in himself? And this is the question that you've got to ask yourself. Do you have roots inside of yourself? And so as this was going on, I thought tonight will be the test. I could feel it inside of myself. Have you ever had a defining moment in your life where you know in this part of your life you're either going to go this way or that way? And he had done really good. He was making high grades. He had kept it clean. And I wondered, could he make it? Now, the thing that shocked me about this is God had enough power. It's not that God didn't live in him. And, you know, I was thinking it's really important, especially if somebody's adopted, that they need this fixed inside of them. This Bible study on roots is very important. And I watched him, and I wonder, will he last? Will his faith make it? His walk with God was real. His testimony was real. If your walk with God's real and your testimony's real, why would you not make it? I mean, isn't that enough? I mean, God's big. You know, he's all-powerful. You know him. There's plenty of God. Why do some people not make it? And it was at that moment I wrote this Bible study on roots. Just inside of myself. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you just suddenly, you're like, it's roots. Does he have the roots? Well, you can find him on Facebook today, and he's completely addicted. You know, he almost died so many times. He, the family lost contact with him. And that night on the way to back to the Bible school, he stopped somewhere along the way, and he got loaded. And he never made it to Bible school. And that was the end of him. And I remember looking at him that night and wondering, did he have it to make it? And I think that's what we're looking at is inside of you, it's easier when you're in a Christian school with everyone around you, but I'm looking at your life to see, do you have the roots to live your life? And so anyway, I was thinking about this and I thought, I wonder what causes someone to make it. 
Well, when I was growing up, my dad planted two trees, and we had a barren yard. I mean, it was terrible. You know, and after five years, these two trees were little bitty pathetic small trees. And I hated it. You know, I had dreams of a really exciting life as a kid, but when you don't have a tree, you don't have a life. I mean, I was thinking I'd have a swing from the tree. I was thinking I'd have a tree house. You know, I imagine all this great stuff with the tree. So I went and approached my dad because my dad was always a genius at figuring out a way to fix my problem. So I came to him and I told him we don't have any shade. We can't climb. I was just complaining that there's nothing worse than being a kid without a tree in your yard. And you know, my dad, he did something really strange with me. And dad said, uh, the reason that these trees are growing slow is because they're growing a large root system. Now, doesn't that just thrill your heart as a kid? Great. They're growing a large root system. Who cared about roots? I just was like, why would my dad even? Okay, great. They have great roots. I can't climb roots. You know, what am I going to do? Show all my friends, come climb my apple tree? Hey, come look at my tree's roots. You know, and I thought, why are dads like that? They say the, you know, he doesn't know whether it has roots. Did he dig it up last night? I mean, how did he know that? Well, anyway, then suddenly somebody came to me and solved my problem for me. They said, what you're needing is a cottonwood tree. They said, in five years, this tree is big enough that you can completely have whatever you want to climb in, in this tree. And so I went to my dad. I thought, it shows you he doesn't know everything told him about this cottonwood tree, told him this is a good deal, we'll get this cottonwood tree. And so anyway, I thought it was the best thing. And our neighbor next door, to prove it, had a cottonwood tree, and it was the biggest tree. It was a giant tree. It was the biggest one in the neighborhood. And so I was like, see, Dad, right there is that cottonwood. Now, I was, I was little, and the neighbor told me how fast it had grown. And you know what my dad said? He goes, you don't want a cottonwood tree. They don't have any roots. Okay, so I've got this piddly little tree that I don't care about that has great roots, and here's this wonderful tree, and Dad's tell me they don't ever, I don't need roots. I need a tree. You know, you, you're trying to explain this to your, to your dad. Well, it's funny how things happen in life. I don't know. Sometimes I thought my dad and God got together on things, but it wasn't too long after that. We had a giant windstorm. I mean, it was just, it just came down, wham, and the wind hit. And when we got up the next day, you know how it is. Limbs are laying everywhere. Well, not our two little trees. They don't have anything to lose. I mean, they're, they're still, those little tough little trees are still standing there. I look over at our neighbor's house, and the cottonwood tree had come out of the ground. I mean, the little roots were, it was pathetic. But the tree was laying over their house. Their whole house had caved in. I mean, it was leaking the rain. I was looking at that. I was like in shock. You know, you kind of have this eerie feeling that God and your dad are together. And so anyway, I mean, it tore up the fence, it tore up the tree, it tore up. I mean, the guy wasn't saying anything about his cottonwood tree now. I mean, they had to get saws and they cut it up and all this went on. And I was thinking about this and I smiled and I thought, hey, my tree has great roots. <laughs> And I learned something that day. No, it's funny now. I go past it, and the tree is huge now. You know, I, I went to see the tree because I was like, you know, and I was thinking sometimes good things take a while. And I'm going to tell you, I want to know, are you a cottonwood tree? 
or do you have good roots? Because sometimes people can look really good and really showy, but you can watch their life and it doesn't last. Like it's, 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 and this is what Matthew 13 tells you about. Some people get real excited and a lot of joy and they spring up and there's nothing wrong with joy. I love quick growth. Believe me, I whip you. I like quick growth. But you don't want quick growth and no roots. You don't want excitement and today you're excited about this and tomorrow you're excited about something else and the next day you're excited about something else. If you're like that, you're probably in the music department. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh, we were laughing. I was like, we had moved our Bible study from, we used to have it in the maybe center. I was like, telling people, I was like, what? What's different about these kids? I can't figure them out. I go, is the generations changing? What, what's happening? And so all of a sudden they explained it to me. They said, over there you were getting Bible students. They said, here, you're located next to the theater. I go, oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it's the, because it's lots of personality. Believe me, we pick people to be on the radio and people that come apply for the radio, personality. You know, you have the person and they enter the room and the whole room is personality. Like I had a friend, she walked in the room and her whole, I mean the whole room was filled up with her presence. She had personality. She won Miss Howard Payne. And so I was like, because a lot of leaves, a lot of personality. But I'm going to say that what you've got to have, you know, in this, especially Christians, Christian actors, <laughs> Christian people, is you've got to have roots with it. Wouldn't it be hilarious if Hollywood suddenly had actors with roots? <laughs> well, here at, at a Christian school, that's how we are. That our theater part, we're producing solid, stable Christians in every field. But I want you to examine how do we get there and what does it look like? How do you own your own roots? So first I was thinking about it. Look at this kid. He didn't have the roots to make it. And I wonder, why do some people walk with God and others don't? Now, but let me tell you the, the one that's harder to catch than this kid. The one that's harder to catch is that there's two types of people in this room. The second type is the person who's been in church all their life. It's the second generation Christian. It's the one where you were in church nine months before you were born. <laughs> you were drugged to church. <laughs> and your whole family is like walking with God. And here you are. And I was thinking about things, and I know this happened in my life personally, is that you have to own your own faith. And sometimes in the Bible department, especially in philosophy class, they'll try to help you lose your faith. <laughs> and they're not trying to make you an atheist or a heathen. They're trying to get you to own it. So they mentally start this game on you to break you down. And you're sitting in there going, is this guy an atheist? What he's trying to do is get you to know why you believe it, what you believe. And this starts happening in college. It's an assault on you. But the purpose is they're not trying to make an atheist out of you. They're trying to get you to own your faith. So here you are. You've grown up in a Christian family. And I'm telling you, this person is more in danger than the first one because they've never figured it out that they've got to own their own faith.
See, I grew up in a Christian home. There's nothing worse than being a PK. You know what that is? Okay, they're the worst. <laughs> All right, I want you to think about things that you have to do for yourself. Tie your own shoes. Brush your teeth. Feed yourself. Do your homework. Some of you may have someone do your homework for you. Some of you may be looking on someone else's homework. I don't know how you do it, but these are things you're supposed to do for yourself. We would have this thing with my roommate and I, or my best friend, that we would, when they would go out of town, we would babysit their boyfriend for them. And uh, so, like, we just kept him safe. So when she was out of town, I took care of her boyfriend. When I was out of town, she took care of mine. But there are some things that you have to do for yourself. You do not let your roommate kiss your boyfriend for you. That is not good babysitting. <laughs> and so they, our babysitting rules stopped at the kiss. So there's going to be really something wrong with you if you tell me, you know, I'll let someone else do that for me. You know, I'd be sitting in, I love doing this, sitting in church or sitting, yeah, I'd be sitting in school. I'd go, hey, can you go to the bathroom for me? And they go, What? And I'm like, no, can you, can you run the bathroom for me? Have you ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> well, you can get away with kissing the boyfriend quicker than you can let someone go to the bathroom for you. Same thing with your work with God. Some things you've got to do for yourself. And your parents and all these people that have drugged you everywhere in your life cannot spiritually make a Christian out of you. <laughs> it, it's like... It's like the fact that I was thinking about this kid. And it reminds me of this guy we had in Bible study. I wish I still had his picture up. But he was beautiful. I mean, the muscles were perfect. His hair, my dad said no to long hair. He just said, Angie, no, you can't date long hair. But when he saw this guy, he goes, he looks like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> my dad loves this guy. Muscles. Beautiful specimen of a guy. I named him Tarzan. I named the girl that loved him. <laughs> yeah, everybody loved him. I named the girl that loved him Jane. And they're married today, Tarzan and Jane. And they said that they would give me their first child as a well for me putting them together. But now I hate to tell y'all about this because you're not supposed to say the name because I'm fixing to say something bad. But in the guy, Tarzan, let's call him Tarzan. Tarzan had grown up looking like Tarzan since he was little, so Tarzan never had to chase Jane. Never did this guy ever have to work for a girl. Never, never, never. Like, I would watch him. I took him to Israel with me, and I've never seen such a thing happen. But the girls were putting their phone number in all his pockets. Like, I mean, it was just like they started just mobbing him. You know, and he just walks through the crowd, and he's very humble, but, I mean, the assault was unbelievable. I mean, it's like I needed bodyguards on him in Israel. It was, like, unbelievable. And uh, maybe it was the hair. Who knows? We're not sure what it was. But I realized that the girl, Jane, was telling me, you know, he makes time for me, and he shows up an hour late. And we finally figured it out. The guy did not have to be the pursuer. Why should he pursue? He was the pursued one. And so we had to teach you, like, honor your word, <laughs> you know, with a girl, if it matters. And so I was really impressed with him on the engagement. He breaks into her apartment. He puts rose petals all over everything. He, he has money left on her bed to buy a dress for the night, the night before. She's living in another state, and she's like, 
where is this, all this coming from? I mean, he takes her under the lights, he sleeps in the car, and there he shows up at the door, and that's the night they get engaged. I was like, Phew. I taught him to pursue. It worked. I get the first kid. <laughs> Why do you think these older ones treat me so well when they walk in? Because they know I have dirt on them. <laughs> it's like, I remember when you were a kid. The same principle with Tarzan. Remember, we're calling this guy Tarzan, not any other name that I've heard whispered over here. It's the same principle that happens with somebody who doesn't have to work with their relationship with God. I mean, your mama and your daddy is trying to make you walk with God. They're slipping papers in your pocket. They are trying to, every single way, tempt you to walk with God. They have a little chain around your neck. They're dragging you. They know that you're a preacher. They're prophesying it. I mean, just every waking moment of your life is they're trying to make a Christian out of you. This is the hardest one to have roots. Because you're like Tarzan here. You don't have to do a darn thing with your relationship with God. It is completely everything's being handed to you. And I'll tell you the most dangerous thing is when you don't have to fight for anything. When you never have to own anything. Everyone compliments you. Everyone praises you. You never have to contend for anything, conquer anything, overcome anything. This kid, there's no roots in this kid. You know what they're like. They're all over the campus. <laughs> the homeschool kids <laughs> get with the rebellious kids. Those are the two. I'm like, i got to keep those two groups apart. <laughs> if you're going to rebel with God, if you want to rebel, come with me. I will help you rebel in such a way that it will keep your parents on their knees. <laughs> but this is the other end of the spectrum. A person that's been in church all their life and this is something that no one can do for you. And believe me, everyone's trying. And so anyway, no roots is something I spotted on the kid because he was at a disadvantage because he never had, had it modeled for him. Does that make sense? This kid, the first kid, never had roots modeled for him, not in his family, not in his adopted family. I mean, everything was just kind of crumbling around him. Even the wedding, <laughs> you know, everybody was dropping like flies. But it was easy to spot at him. But this one has a disadvantage. This second kid, because roots are so modeled for him, Christianity is so modeled for him that they take it for granted. And they become lazy. And sometimes it's lazy for a lifetime lazy. I'm going to call it an ugly name. If you want to get rid of something, say something ugly about it. They're a coward. Lazy. So anyway, it was real easy to spot it in the kid that grew up with none, but it was much harder to realize there's a lot of kids raised with everyone around them with roots. Like sometimes I went to one college, and everybody that was famous in the United States for being famous Christian had their kid in the school. The kids were not walking with God because their parents were famous Christians, like the most famous ones in the United States. So you ought to have gone to school with their kids. Rootless. Did not own their own faith. Like, I was the most spiritual one there. They tried to make me a chaplain without knowing me. Do I look like a chaplain? I was like, I have never been accused of being spiritual. I'm never going to be sainted. It's never going to happen. I was like, these people have no discernment to think I'm chaplain material. 
But that's how hard up they were. <laughs> if they've made you a chaplain and you know you don't deserve it, <laughs> okay. It's because everyone around you doesn't have any roots. In this school of famous celebrity kids, 10, 20% were walking with God. Slow numbers. But parents were sending them there to reform them. And there's a lot of kids that you're around that are being sent there because their parents hope something will happen. They're trying to get someone to date them to, to get them. Yeah, you, you know the line. So we've got students with no roots, but also besides students, we have adults with no roots. You can have old people. Sometimes I think old people are wise. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're just bitter. <laughs> and some of them don't have roots. Like I'm like, did you grow up in the 60s? Because something's wrong with you. You know, I'm looking at uh, I won't make jokes, but anyway, um, they don't look saved. And they're old, and it looks funny on them. Now, I want to tell you something that's going to bother you, and we're going to kind of talk through it, because this isn't one of those Bible studies I've got it where it's just manicured and polished, and I've got all I want to say about it. I want to kind of evolve this one because of what I'm going to say next. And it's so hard to express and we've been up in my room kind of yelling at each other, trying to put words for this. But we were trying to discuss what I'm fixing to say about Matthew 13, and it's in the New American Standard Bible. And this is what I want to say about roots that I'm having a hard time expressing, and if you get it wrong, it's heresy. I mean, it's just, it's all over with, and I've messed you up for life. So let's try to work this out carefully. In Matthew 13, 5... New American Standard, Matthew 13, 21. In the New American Standard, it says that this person has no roots in, and you would think it would say they have no roots in what? Christ. Christ. That's what you would think Matthew 13 would say. This person falls away from the gospel because they have no roots in God, in Christ. It's not what it says. And this is where we have to be a little careful. They have no roots in, what does it say in the New American Standard? In themselves. Oh my. Now I've got the boat floating on the water. If you're a counselor, pay attention now. This is where we're going to try to do it. All right. So you're the plant and the roots have to be in yourself. So you're evaluating yourself. Are you no roots, shallow roots, deep roots? Okay, because I hinted at this with the thing about the guy. And I'm going to try to express this. And sometimes I can express it by telling you what I'm not saying so we can try to come up with what on earth I am saying. But I like hard to understand scriptures. I really do. If I was going to write a commentary of the Bible, forget all the sweet refrigerator scriptures. I like the ones that are difficult. And this to me is a lifetime of understanding what it means to have roots inside of yourself, in yourself. Now, the roots in God, roots in himself, the world says we need self-esteem, but the Bible says we need roots. And that's where I draw the line. That's the difference. The world calls it you need self-esteem. I tell you, you need roots. The world's trying to figure it out with self-esteem when they really can't tell you they can't put it into words 
what it means to have roots inside of yourself. Now, you would think this verse would say have roots in God. Okay, roots in yourself. Now, in this evaluation that we're doing, I want you to evaluate your roots. And I don't want you to tell yourself this is the roots that I want to have. It's not what you want to be. It's not your potential. If God is giving you gifts of the Spirit, there are spiritual gifts, I'm not evaluating your gifts. I'm evaluating your roots inside of yourself. This is not what you will become. It's not your destiny. It's not what you sense. It's not the fact you either think I'm going to grow up and be successful. This is what you are right now. Because if you have roots that I'm talking about, this is sustainability. And that's what you have to have. Now there's this horrible little verse in the Bible. And Jesus said it. It's red. And he says, those who endure to the end will be saved. <laughs> and we don't talk about that when we're talking about. <laughs> Everybody there is willing to agree with what sozo means they're saved. <laughs> He'll deliver, set free. But those who endure to the end will be saved. Roots is what gives you the ability, the sustainability to endure to the end. And believe me, I love having Bible study packed out. I mean, we've had it where we've had people so tight that they had to take my pulpit out because they didn't have a, enough places for people to be. But the thing is, it's not what it is now. What I'm trying to do to you is what you'll be 10 years from now. Like, I would like to think, what would this room look like in 10 years where you are in your faith? That's roots. Oh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun packing it out that much. It's fun to have to turn in a circle to be able to speak. It's fun. It's not lasting. It's that quick flash in the pan. And that's what I'm saying about you. I could not be more thrilled you being here because that's where it starts. But what I'm looking at is where this ends, that you endure to the end so as to be saved. And saved is a beautiful package. Look it up in the Hebrew and the Greek. I mean, it, the word is rich. But enduring to the end that you will be saved. So you're a plant, and you've got to have the roots to make it. Now, I've seen this, and this is what's weird. Now, this is where we were trying to draw the line. I have seen people have roots in God, but they're rootless in themselves. And I can't quite put my finger on it. It's kind of like when I see people, and I'm evaluating, and I'm, I'm thinking... Do they have the roots to make it? They really love God. I mean, I'm telling you, it's real. I look at them and I'm like, their love for God's genuine. It's real. They know God. And they have testimonies of what God's done for them. But for some reason, having roots in God is not the same thing as having roots in yourself. So we're trying to find language for this. So they love God. They know God. They've had God do things for them, but for some reason it doesn't give them core strength. How many of you are working out? They'll work on your core strength. In here on Tuesday nights, I'm working on your core strength. It's what's the deepest inside of you. But in this core strength, it's a place in you where you cannot be shaken, where you're not porous. You know what porous means? 
everybody's all excited and crazy and you get all excited and crazy like it's crowd feel like you pick up everybody's fear you pick up everybody's emotion if everybody's shaking you're shaking and so what you've got to have is a core strength something inside of you and so we were asking this question because we were trying to figure it out like what causes someone to love god but not be able to have the roots that they need to make it all the way all right the first thing i'm going to say is something's broken about their receiver now what's a receiver how good are you at receiving i've had a lot of people tell me i'm unloved i'm unloved i just was never loved but the truth is a lot of times when you meet those people something's broke in their receiver oh y'all don't marry someone that that is unloved, that the receiver is broken. It's a mess trying to love somebody that has unloved. You know, I think, I don't know, you probably saw it on some meme and Facebook or something. You can't expect someone to love you if you don't love you, if you don't have love. Like, if your receiver is broken, you're asking someone to do something for you that you're not doing, that you can't do yourself. Does that make sense? And so it comes to that place with God that sometimes that receiver is broken, like an apparatus is broken inside of them. And they can't take in God. It's handed to you, it's given to you, but it's not accepted. And so one thing I would ask you is, are you good at receiving? Like, if there's a lot of God in the room, or like if God's, like in your prayer life, in your, in people's, in love, do you have the ability to receive? Like that receiver needs to be working. Because if you don't, you're not going to have it to give. And I think one thing that grows good roots is where you're really healthy in this area, where you're whole. That you don't feel rootless to me. Like I'm not smelling unloved on you. That your receiver's working. So I would say you need to make sure all your gears inside of you are working. That your apparatuses are working. Who knows what those are, but it sounds important to say it that way. But there's something in you that needs to be able to get the download. Because it's not roots in God. Because he's there. It's roots in yourself. There's something in you that's got to be able to take on this huge God <laughs> and get and receiving alright the roots inside of yourself in storms in life you're going to need roots now I don't like thinking about storms I've had a few storms in my life but to go through a storm the good thing about a storm is they don't last you got to outlast your storms but you got to have roots to do it. So your roots are very important for windy days. <laughs> when something's trying to blow you over. When something's trying to knock you down. It's important you don't fall down. You know, I love that verse in the Bible that says, A righteous man, though he fall down seven times, he keeps getting up. Yeah. Failure is when you don't stand back up again. Yeah. 
And see, my kid could have fallen that night and stood back up. Rootlessness is where you fall and you don't get back up again. That's called enduring. Think about a kid learning to walk. How many times does a kid fall? <laughs> but I've never seen a kid sit there and say, I quit trying. I'm two years of age and for four years I'm just not going to walk. <laughs> because I fall too much. But Christians do it every day. <laughs> I see Christians sit there and go, I fall too much. The thing that's wrong is if you don't stand back up. A righteous man stands back up. Don't let the devil beat you up. It's the enemy. Stand back up. I went to a guy, and, you know, he's 80, he's wise, and he prayed for every one of us in here for some form of deliverance. And I told him, I said, look, I'm messing up, and I keep falling down. And I told him, and the bad thing is it's when I'm leading a team and he goes, when you fall down, how long are you down for? Three days. He goes, oh, no, you can't be down three days. I go, it's a mess when I'm leading a team. Because what would happen is my head would start spinning. You know how that is. Confused, your mind spinning, all this stuff. You know what his great advice to me was? Just stand up quicker. And you know what? It was a lot smarter than I thought. I thought he was going to give me some wise way to not have anything wrong with me. All he tells me is, just stand up quicker. Immediately, I could stand up within one day and not three. But I was always scared because when I was leading a team, I'd always get hit with this one set of thoughts that would just knock me down, make me confused, just, you know, take away the goodness of life. So I'm telling you, stand up quicker. Falling down. And standing up is what makes a baby learn how to walk. You need roots inside of yourself. In storms, you've got to receive roots. Hebrews 12, 27 is your verse. It says, we're going through times that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That means everything's shaking. I don't like the climate you are being raised in. It's why some people are scared. Because everything is being shaken. Does it bother you? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, in a day's time you hear, okay, this is happening at, on school campus, this is happening in the world, this is happening in my family, this is happening. Let me just tell you, that's part of everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But it says you've received a kingdom within yourself that cannot be shaken. The only thing that goes wrong is when it's shaking out there and it's shaking inside of you. That's when it's messy. And sometimes I get the shakes. And there's things you have to do when you start feeling the shakes come on you. Because everything around you is being shaken. You're not having your core strength you need. Oh, I remember Chiapas. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. But my Tarzan, we were having guys, and, and you know the little natives come to you and they tell you, come on, come on with us to the waterfall. One mile walk. They're all barefoot. And so they, they take us one mile, and they say, one hour, one hour, one hour. Four hours later, we're still trying to get there. Now, we have experienced paradise. I mean, there's grapefruit growing on trees. I mean, I had one friend that 
my gosh, she was wearing orange and there was a bull, so I tried to get the bull to chase her, you know, and I was, you know, and we had so much fun. I mean, it was just crazy. I sat there and, and wrote everybody's name down in pencil in case they didn't make the plane. I could tell parents they weren't on the list. You, you know, I didn't know if we could get them out of the jungle. But on the way back, y'all, we were so tired, and that's the story you, you'll have to read in the team book where we swam with the crocodiles. We didn't realize we were swimming on the cross. But anyway, so, you know, you just have these great experiences. But when they would fall, Tarzan would get over the top of them and go, what, how do you yell it? No, no soldier. We, we leave no soldier behind. And he's screaming over the top of these girls who have never walked in their life, you know, and they're laying there and they're dead and they go, we can go no further. I mean, makeup's gone, hair. I mean, we, y'all, I'm telling you, you, these trips are fun. And he's screaming over no soldier left behind. He did something for people I'd never, I mean, people would stand up like a zombie and we would keep going out of the jungle. And somehow every name was on the list and I put them in pen then. But I'm telling you, sometimes you need, when everything inside of you is shaking, someone screaming over you, no soldier left behind. It's the meanest voice in your repertoire. I am not trying to be the sweetest voice you ever hear. I didn't get my mother's voice that's sweet like honey. But my voice will be telling you, no soldier left behind. I will whip you, kick you, spit on you, work with you until you have that endurance strength to make it. Because you can smell rootlessness. No soldier left behind. You know, we have this guy, and he's 80 years of age. And when he talks to you, it's like this. It's a prophet's voice. And sometimes when they're short, don't let it deceive you. They feel inside they're 12 foot high. We have someone else. They think they're 12 foot high, and they're short. Uh-huh. Now, let me add one dimension to it that you don't know. 80 years of age, prophet, and foreigner. <laughs> You remember the night in here that he goes, Superman! And he falls off his horse and he's paralyzed. He was not Superman. And he starts sitting and we're like, you you can't say stuff like that. I mean, you can't talk about the guy falling off his horse and being paralyzed from his neck down and say that shows he's not a super god. He's just a man. And and so you know what foreigners do? Have you ever noticed what they do? You've got to go on the mission field. They're, They're great at this. It was just a translation issue. You were misunderstanding. I mean, they say the most atrocious things that cannot be said in American pulpits. But you forgive them because it was a foreigner. And if you're a foreigner, you can get away with all kinds of translation problems. They will first tell you your pimples, you're fat, you're... Th- I mean, it's shocking what they'll say to you in the Philippines if you've been over there. Yes. So we've got this 80-year-old guy. He's tough, prophetic, and foreign. <laughs> and there's something about that combination that I look up to him because I want to grow up to be like him tough <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a, you know he's as tough as nails but you kind of expect a little bit of wisdom from him because you're like if you're in trouble this is the guy I'm going to go to and he was telling me he preached this sermon on it I never forgot his sermon some people just never forget his words sometimes his sermons are just shockingly brilliant but he preached on something I call P-I-S. Personal, inner, <laughs> strength. 
Some carnal people in here. Okay, enormous <laughs> amounts of roots. And he said this is the only thing that can make a minister last or not is whether they make it or whether they don't know is whether you have personal inner strength. I bet you never forget it, what you have to have in you to make it. Core strength, you don't lose your fight. You don't lose your push. There's no give up in them. Resilience, grit, you have a root in yourself. Personal inner strength. And he's the one that first even alluded to this fact that it's not all about God. Because if you're in the ministry, you've got a calling, you know God's called you, it's a real calling. God's with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Then why are people falling out of ministry like flies? One guy made a joke. He goes, the politicians are doing better than the pastors are as far as standing up to the fight. If God never leaves you and he never forsakes you, then why are people falling out of ministry and losing the faith and not enduring to be saved? Why? And he said it's personal inner strength. I thought that's an unusual thing. So I was going to tell you, I would tell you that having roots is having personal inner strength. If I was going to name the person in the Bible that had I hate to abbreviate it, y'all, just with the few carnal people we have in here. If I just say, to have that P, period, I, period, S, period, in you. (laughs) That personal inner strength. There's a person in the Bible that I think is kind of the poster boy on it. It'd be Joseph. That guy had personal inner strength. Clear up to prime minister. Trials, digging holes. I mean, he had a dream that all the corn in the field bowed down to his and all the, all the stars bowed down to him. And everybody debates, maybe he shouldn't have told the dream. There was personal inner strength in the guy. He went through temptations. You know, he told the woman, no. Most of the time, a man's rule on a woman is, uh, this is his rule. As long as they're not saying no, it's yes. <laughs> like, I go as far as she says. <laughs> That's the first case in the Bible where the man said no. I mean, I thought that was amazing. He goes, no. And women can't take a no. Man, it makes you very eligible if you tell them no. It drives them crazy. It makes, makes them mentally break down. I mean, women wait to marry the man that says no. Joseph was the man. He said no. Personal inner strength. He could hold on. He could be forgotten for two years in prison. He could persevere. He made it in the ministry. He became prime minister. 30. So this is a good example of what it looks like in you. Because I'm not knowing how to express it any deeper than this 80-year-old man who's taken a, you know, kind of an understanding of his whole life and said, what does it take to make it to the end? Because you get very frustrated at this age. I love God. I haven't let go of God. How come I'm failing? There's something in this that you have to have of core grit. Maybe it's that it makes you put an expectation on yourself. And this isn't an expectation apart from God. It's not that you're a lover of self. This is not self-independence or self-indulgence or being self-relying or having self-will. I'm going to give you words for it. Actually, it's protecting your free will, not your self-will. 
I think this is crazy to think of it this way. I was thinking about this. Everything in this world is God's except one thing. Your will. It's really your will. It's the one thing that doesn't belong to God. He actually, when he gave you your will, he gave you your will. And you can use it to be Hitler. <laughs> I mean, you can do anything you want. You can be a Christian and do bad things with your will. Your will is your will. Now, you can surrender your will to God and it be his will. That's what love is. You don't want someone loving you because they have to. Because you coerce them. I mean, there is something to be said about cavemen hitting you over the head with a club. and I mean, that's your <laughs> brand of love. But if, if you have to romance them early on to date them, then there's going to come a point in the marriage you've got to romance them. You can't say, you owe it to me. It just doesn't go down good. It goes down like a bitter pill. Same with God. Free will. So you put expectations on yourself. Now, having roots is when the battle gets personal. Maybe it's this deal of, um, maybe rootlessness is when you're afraid of risk. You don't have enough guts to risk. Maybe it's when you get hurt in you. Have you ever got some good hurt in you? Mm-hmm. Never fully trust again. Never fully give yourself. Fear of risk. I got hurt in me. I can almost tell you where hurt lives in my body. Because <laughs> when you hurt, there's an organ in your body that'll hurt. And it, usually everybody has hurt make a nest in them somewhere. And it's hurt. And so these kind of things are what keeps you from being able to have roots. Now, I'm going to tell you, and this is true, but I, I saw this once when I was young. That the treasure that means the most to you is the one you mine yourself. So if you'll take what I'm saying about roots and tell yourself, what is it do I need to dig up out of the ground? Like one time I found a dime. It was a very old, rare dime. And it meant the most to me because I dug it up out of my great-grandmother's yard. If you've ever dug treasure up, that's what it's like digging in the Word of God. Dig me up some things that tell me that you understand roots. I'll tell you where it hits me. And if you're going to be a leader, I'll tell you the one thing that tries to happen to you is you get your confidence shaken. And believe me, it'll happen at some point in your leadership. <laughs> and in this, in Hebrews 10.36, you get the shaken self. Mine was where I had a guy tell me off for an hour and a half. <laughs> and I was the sermon material in front of everybody. And I liked the guy. I respected him. And so he let me have it for an hour and a half. I got my confidence shaking where I thought I could never stand up again. And I remember sitting out on the back porch with an auditorium of Indian people and saris as far as the eye can see, and I had to preach. I was like, I can't ever get on this horse again because my confidence is shot. Like, if he didn't believe in me, who does? But I'd prepared all my life for the day that my confidence got shaken. Because I'd seen King David. And the thing that went wrong with King David is. There was a point in King David's life. And you can almost see it in the Bible. Where King David's confidence got shaken. 
Study David as a leader and when he got his confidence shaken. So I started thinking of my life of this is what my life will look like if I get my confidence shaken. Remember when the ox was carrying the ark and the ox stumbled and the guy reached up and, and he, he stabilized it and the guy got electrocuted because <laughs> there's so much power in it? It said that David got so upset he just parked the ark for a few years. And being a Jew, he saw that that guy was so blessed having the ark, he goes, oh, I think I'll take it back to Jerusalem. <laughs> but you can get your confidence shaken in God, in yourself, in life, in your decisions. There's so many different ways. See if you like this verse. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us hold fast to the confidence. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence because it has great reward. Hebrews 10, 36. But if any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him, saith God. Prepare yourself for the time that you're shaking inside and your confidence gets shaken. This is called ministry. If you expect it, you got the word in you, and I stood up and I told myself, I've been trained all my life not to fail God at this moment. I pulled myself out of ash heaps with that statement. I have been trained all my life not to fail God at this moment because I mean your emotions are shaking your head's shaking y'all don't think that this is not common to man don't think it's not common to ministers <laughs> it is preparation for being shaken confidence is not lost it's shaken it's not wounded it's just shaken athletes can have their confidence shaken Sometimes it ends their career. You're an athlete. You've got to finish this race. So you cannot allow your confidence to get shaken, especially if the battle quits being at 100 yards and starts getting personal. I've had the battle get personal. Sam and I were joking. We've had a witch come to our house and try to kill us. <laughs> but sometimes it gets even more personal than someone with a loaded gun wanting to kill you. Or uh, when she pulled the knife out after me. We got her saved. Took a little while. <laughs> she wasn't real responsive at first, but it worked. But the battle can get personal with you. And I always call it, it kind of gets under my helmet. <laughs> it kind of gets into my skull cap. You can get hurt. That's where the hurt gets in you. And this is where you've got to pass the test. It's not whether God comes through, it's whether you do. This is having roots in yourself. When Abraham was being tested, it was so well said by that man. You kind of think God's being tested whether he'll ever give a son by the time you're 90. But you don't realize that you're being tested if you're going to believe the promises of this very verbose God <laughs> telling you <laughs> that he's made promises to you when you're way past the age of receiving it. You're being tested. It's not whether God comes through. It's whether you do. And sometimes you say this to yourself till you believe it. Whether you do it relying on God. Core inner strength, it's your morals, it's your values, and it's your principles. It's staying connected to your promises. It's having God make you personal promises. You've got to let God mine things out of the Bible yourself for that word you well, let me go ahead. You swear to yourself that that verse was written in the Bible just for you. 
Do you have some verses? I think there's some put in the Bible just for me. You've got to have the... If I come up to you, you've got to be able to tell me, let me show you the verses that are written for me. Because you've got a war with those verses and those promises. You remember, there's times when you nobody can encourage you. You've got to encourage yourself. The devil sees to it that you're isolated, alienated, enough alone on your worst days that there's nobody that can encourage you. You have to learn the art of encouraging yourself, of strengthening yourself in the Lord. If you don't, you won't make it. I'm yelling at you now saying, no soldier left behind. If you go into the ministry, you have to learn the art of strengthening yourself in the Lord. Don't take another step. David did not take another step at Ziglag after all that went down until he had strengthened himself in the Lord. There's times I can't go out of my house till I've done that. Because people are dangerous because they will criticize you till you want to quit. Worse than criticizing you is they will compliment you. And you've got to be able to not listen to either. They're both dangerous to me. Criticism is dangerous to let it inside of me. Compliments are dangerous. It's the art of strengthening yourself in the Lord. Now let me tell you what's odd. I told mom this. Have you ever noticed people gravitate to people who have deep roots? Nobody wants an immature friend. So when you start a ministry, you have thousands of immature people. But they will not be friends with each other because immaturity with immaturity makes two people shaking. You've seen those experiments where everything gets to shaking in the water. That's what it looks like until you get where you're stable. So what happens is everybody that's immature wants to hook onto the one person they think is mature. So the one mature person has 3,000 people hooked to them. <laughs> they may not even really like you, but if they're going through a hard time, you're the one they call. <laughs> and thank goodness for text messages because you can get seven emergency urgents at once and you have to make your decision. Do you go to the house that's burning, to the person that's dead? I mean, you got this whole list of urgents coming at you because you're the one person with roots that everybody knows. And then if you have a college ministry that has thousands of these people that have left you, they find you on the day that something is. <laughs> and, and that is, it's called the prayer of agreement. I love doing it. Josh had a baby today. Little girl, Sarah. But he wants us to believe that, that the water gets out of the lungs. They have it, her on a machine. So you get those calls and you're trying to get back to everyone, and you put your faith and you agree. But I've noticed that people like mature people. And your experiences help you develop deeper roots. It, and I'll tell you, either with your experience, you're going to go towards God, or you're going to run away from Him. When you feel pain, you're either going to go towards Him, or, when you, or you're going to run away. So, immature people don't like being friends with uh, immature people. They want somebody mature. And let me ask you, can you bring to the table where you become one of those mature people? 
Because in some ways, you wouldn't be in this Bible study if you weren't already headed there and have some of that in you. Each one of you have a, a sphere of influence. But I'm telling you, you can grow in your stability and your roots to where people, they come to you because they see you as unshakable. And that's the goal. I get it. I want people stronger than me spiritually. But the bad thing is if you live too long, you end up being last man standing. <laughs> and those people get pretty lonely. <laughs> but they check out early sometimes. So you've got to own something about this yourself. You've got to own your free will and your individual will. It's a beautiful thing to give your will to God. It's the only real gift you can give God. He gave it to you, and you get to give it back. You can have safe places to receive. Like sometimes when your emotions are crazy and your head's crazy, sometimes if you're good at this, you're good when people speak the truth to you, you receive it. You're like, okay, that's truth. I receive that. So in that insecurity inside of you, that rejection, that hurt, if you let hurt make your decisions, if the victim in you makes the decisions, that broken part of you makes the decision, what you're doing is you're violating the true strength of your free will. you got to get that out of you. The apparatus in you is broken. It's not that God can't come in and isn't coming towards you. You don't have the right apparatus in you to hold him. It's a deficiency. They aren't letting it get healed. You've got to let yourself get healed. It, there's a real art to receiving healing. The brokenness, their brokenness is more truth to them than what they're receiving. What do you do when you have an opportunity to receive? It's the test of developing roots. Or you're making excuses. You give me a thousand excuses why it's not working. If you don't take responsibility, the thing that I think we came to the most of what roots are, what having deep roots mean, is you take personal responsibility. It's hard to use your God-given authority if you don't take responsibility that you can do something about it. Never own that you, that you can do something about it with God, with your anointing, with your gifting. It's a partnership, y'all. God really wants you to bring something to the table it's fun you surrender it to him you defer to him you you tell god it's all about you and and, and then it's amazing how he he lets you bring your variety and your diversity i think that's why in some things in scripture are very clear there's one way to do it but some things in christian in the scripture there's a lot of there's a lot of movement room. You can kind of have fun with it like he he likes to see what it looks like god with you your your own god blend so, trying to isolate our part. There's a man I've been watching, and he doesn't know God. But he has a lot of leadership in him. But what I see in him that makes him strong is he takes personal responsibility. He's able to do a lot, and he's very rooted. He doesn't dodge his responsibility, and he doesn't make excuses and therefore he doesn't lack strength. Where he fails is he's not done it with the Lord. 
So if you can take what you have of God, where he's never going to leave you, and add personal responsibility to it without making excuses, oh, it is a winning combination. It is a winning combination. You know, I was thinking about uh, this older man that's a foreigner, you know, in 80. His mother died when he was a toddler. He lived in a third world country. He was smoking, drinking, cussing. The world had a deep pull on him. He was empty. But he became a man of personal inner strength, and he's laid down 80 years of service to God with no excuses. And not everything in his life was picture perfect. And so I would tell you, you love things that you have a vested interest in. To use your faith gives you a vested interest. John Maxwell said this, get people to invest in the vision, and then they own it. So if you invest in the kingdom, if you invest in this thing called God's plan, then it matters to you, and it gives you roots. This is the romantic part with God, the tender part with God. It means something to him, to you. It has value. It means something. It's worth fighting for. You have gratitude of what he's done for you. You're recounting it. You have to have roots to do this walk with God. You plunge into God. Now, this is my ending. I'm going to give you three scripture promises for you to claim over yourself. Psalm 1-3. You are a tree firmly planted by the water. And you cannot be moved. Remember those songs? I cannot, I cannot be moved. When the wind's blowing, you sing to yourself, I cannot, I cannot be moved. <laughs> That's what Paul said. When everything's coming against you, stand. Stand firm. Stand firm. And, you know, Ephesians 6, 12. Stand firm. Stand, stand, stand. It's a lot to stand. Proverbs 12, 3. Unshakable roots. You're only as good of a tree as your roots. Take a look at your root system. The top of the tree. Oh, there's nice leaves. Refuge for birds. Good fruit. But no one can be established through wickedness. But the righteous cannot be up rooted that was Proverbs 12.30 the last one is 2 Kings 19.30 checking out your tree it says God has a remnant and you grow roots below and you grow fruit above so you have growth upward and downward man that's beautiful you grow roots below and fruit above so own your own relationship with God if you had nothing given to you Grow roots. If you had everything given to you, that's a problem too. Grow roots. And then like my dad said, I'm going to come by you and go, hey, you got to look at this person. They've got great roots. <laughs> <laughs> that's about when you launch, when you get mature and perfect. I lose you. <laughs> All right. Love y'all. Bye. Can you imagine if God didn't grow? Oh, you've got great roots. Great, great roots. <laughs>